you know what James Hetfield of Metallica used to do, or maybe he still does. Like he he talk into the microphone, he go testicles one two, testicles one two. <laughs> People used to tell me that I looked like James Hetfield from Metallica, and I think it was true. You know, when I was younger. Welcome to another episode of what was formerly called the Woo LA Podcast, otherwise formerly known as the Right Out of LA Podcast. We have been going through a new rebranding that uh, our um, gracious host, uh, Robin, is going to explain. Hello there. <coughs> so, the, so the site now, which you'll, you'll all still be following, um, and does redirect so all the old fans will still be fans. So you won't be able to get away that easily. The new website then is www. and it's filmotomy.com, as in the botany. So basically, my wife came up with this idea, her being Greek as well, and very intelligent. It was a good combination. Um, and we went through all kinds of things. Um, to sort of dissecting film was the main thing, and this was... Um, this domain was available because <laughs> so many of them are and so many like good domains and uh, so we came up with that and I, I wanted to the, the main thing I wanted to do was rebrand because I felt the basic it's, it's like been going on for a few years now I felt right out of LA I just didn't tell you that it was a film site and I do believe my traffic and everything else was suffering so we'll soon find out so I wanted film in the title you've got to have like film movie Hollywood whatever in the title, I believe. So that's what I was going for. And I, m- I must have gone for about six, 60, um, you know, names or mixtures of words to try and come up with a... As you probably saw on Twitter, I was asking people all the time, what do you think to this? What do you think to this? Uh, then my followers just dropped. <laughs> uh, but I think this one works. Um, I'm still not 100%, but I, I think it's a great name that people will find and will know what it's about. And it makes you think, you know, that, that that Greek ending, you know, what dissecting film. I think that's what we do generally. So, and now award season's arrived, and it's the perfect time to do it. And I was going to do it last year, and D- Daniel actually said to me, because it's award season coming up this time last year, he said, if you're going to do it, do it now. So I thought <laughs> of that, and I thought, I've got to get it done by September, because once the festival's in New York, LA, kick in, and then you get all those critics awards i need to uh, have a good site plan so that, that's basically it in two, two years of, of uh, sort of private pain i'm very pleased with it i mean what what do you guys think of the of the title and, and also the idea of rebranding i'm actually 
Uh, I now just now that you said it, now now I know how to pronounce it. Phimotomy. Yeah, because for a while it's like I'm not sure how to pronounce it. And that's like okay now 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 that you've explained it, it definitely kind of ties in it now it yeah. makes sense to me. I want to congratulate you, Robin, for taking the leap. I think it's awesome. Uh, you know, it's not always easy, and I think I think you know positive days are ahead for this site. It looks it's exciting. It sounds like a whole bunch of fun content to me. Good, good, thank you. Well, thank you for doing that. Right, so that's uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, um, it's got a new layout as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd encourage people to look at it, but let, let, let's get on with the show. Okay. So, yeah, today we have uh, Daniel Smith-Rousey. We obviously have Robin Wright. We have Jonathan Holmes. We have my roommate, Julia. And then I'm here. And I, of course, am Big Al Robinson. And uh, the, the, if you're wondering who we might be missing today, it, of course, is Joel Melendez, who's, of course, all on our mind right now, as he is um, he's doing okay in Puerto Rico, but, of course, they're going through hell right now. And uh, so we send our positive thoughts his way. And we we hope that uh, everything will turn out fine there. So, uh, what up, Joel? All right, so I think first we'll get into talking about the uh, film festivals that recently um, happened. Um, we, of course, started with Venice and then Telluride. And then the big one, of course, was the Toronto Film Festival. And now, of course, the New York Film Festival is going on. So it's almost like every day you log into Twitter or Facebook and you see something new uh, that premiered. And um, the majority of uh, the big Oscar films, of course, have been seen now. And um, we think we know what some of the frontrunners are that have uh, come through to the top. Um, Of course, two of the main ones that got the best receptions were Joe Wright's Darkest Hour, which, of course, is about Winston Churchill back in the, um, the 1940s, which also intersects with Dunkirk that happened earlier this year from Christopher Nolan. And that's getting a lot of praise. And, of course, Gary Oldman is being touted as the eventual winner, even, to win Best Leading Actor. Even though I think the field is still shaping up, and we'll get into that in a second, so I don't think it's a done deal yet. Um, uh, what do you guys think? Do you think Gary Oldman's a uh, shoe in to win? If he is, um, it's been a it's been a long time coming. As, as someone who's a fan, a fan of his work, going back to the Fifth Element when he played uh, Zorg, all the way to present day uh i've just been a fan of his work i've loved how he just throws himself into every role he's in and my theory on films is that if you add gary oldman regardless of how it is the film is much better because he's in it yeah um i've always got kind of a i don't like the the idea of some um you know like they're, they're owed an Oscar, or it's about time. I think people are going to get swept up with that and not talk about his performance, which I hear is kind of a... I don't know if you can say career best with, with Gary Oldman, because I'd go beyond Fifth Element and say, like, in the 80s, uh, when in the 90s, he was doing Sid and Nancy, and even something like Bram Stoker's Dracula. 
which I don't think he took seriously. I mean, that was that was a good role. I think he's he's done so much good stuff, and it's finally recognising him now. And I'm I'm a little bit sort of resentful, slightly a bit resentful of it. You know, he just got his first nomination a couple of years ago. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I don't I don't think he really cares. Um, I think he'll like to win, but I don't think he really is, is up for the all awards thing. Um, I'm not sure if he's, he's not like a, a shy person, but he's very much um, not against it. But I don't think he'll be putting himself out there as, as much, unless, of course, the film um, pushes it. But I've heard good things about the film. It's actually, it looks like it's actually taken over everything and it might be actually the number one at the minute. And it's got also Joe Wright, who's also apparently maybe uh, owed something for his previous work. So, but, but that's just a matter of opinion. But I'm hoping it doesn't become a career Oscar for him. I hope it's genuinely about his role. That That's my view on it. And I love the guy, and I, and I have no problem with him winning or falling in. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree with what Jonathan and Robin said. I, I think, I mean, talking the turkey of the race, um, as far as we can tell from this point, it looks like other stars are aligning in Oldman's direction. I mean, I would say um, his his apparent competition, I mean, it's a little early, but like, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis um, for that untitled, um, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson movie, I doubt they're going to give Daniel Day-Lewis a fourth Oscar, even if he turns in, you know, the greatest performance of all time. Um, Matt Damon will probably be nominated for either Suburbicon or Downsizing. I I love Matt Damon, and he's probably the only other person who's going to be, like, massively overdue. But um, I don't know. I don't know. Based on looking at those roles, they don't look showy enough to, you know, they don't look scenery chewy enough. Um, You you know, Army Hammer is going to get nominated for Call Me By Your Name, but, you know, that'll be his first nomination. I mean, they won't feel like they owe it to him the way that, and, and Gary Oldman is playing in a biopic, and... It's, um, you know, it's British and you could argue that Churchill is either in vogue because of John Lithgow and the crown or just because of Trump, because, you know, we need to send it a signal for when, you know, in these post Brexit, post Trump times about when, you know, this kind of thing looked good or better or was done by real adults, um, you know, maybe. So I think that. I think uh, I don't think Oldman is unstoppable. Boy, that is a lot. If I was any other campaign, any other actor's campaign manager, I'd be like, ah, you know, that that's a big mountain to climb when you think of all those things. And yeah, Oldman has been a genius forever. I mean, I I just watched Prick Up Your Ears, and I was kind of, the way he plays off Alfred Molina. In, I mean, it's a thirty-year-old movie, but boy, that is like a fantastic Stephen Frears old movie. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, he's. Uh, I, you know, sometimes the career Oscar is also um, the Oscar that they deserve for the performance. Now, maybe I'll be watching this going, oh, God, Oldman's just chewing scenery and this is silly. But I, I don't know. I suspect he'll allow the subtlety. He'll bring in the humanity. I mean, knowing him. Another star aligning is that Dunkirk doesn't have a lead role to, you know, to fight with him about. I mean, I, I don't know. I see a lot of stars aligning. Uh, am I Am I crazy? That's what the, the forecast looks like for me. Um. Yeah, it... it... We might end up having um, kind of a showdown in the end between a Darkest Hour and a Dunkirk, um, but that 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 showdown helps Oldman if it is the the showdown. You know what I mean? Because Dunkirk obviously is not going to have a lead, you know, competing. 
Right. Now, uh, Julia, you're a fan of Gary Oldman, right? Yes, I am. Mr. Gordon! Yeah, we him first from The Dark Knight. But, you know, I mean, I I remember him even uh, going as far back as, what, True Romance and Leon the Professional, where he was completely unhinged. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, now, the other film that did really well, Telluride, and then I... I think it may have played as New York or um, at Toronto as well is The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro's new film. And of course, this is where we start introducing the genre element into the race um, because it's it's sort of about what, like um, a science experiment. There's a fish man and we have Sally Hawkins. Um, kind of meeting the fish man and falling in love, so it's kind of a um, pa- like a fish out of water story. Yeah, there you go, fish out of water. Literally, <laughs> 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 and it's yeah, it's, it definitely looks romantic, but it also looks kind of kind of like it's got a little bit of horror elements to it, maybe. Um, unless the trailers are just sort of giving us sort of the wrong idea, but I don't I don't think so. I think I'm reading the trailers right, you know. And it looks like it's kind of a mix between Pan's Labyrinth and Crimson Peak. Is that the vibe you guys get from it? Yeah. And, of course, we're, everybody's that, not talking about... No, sorry, go ahead. No, well, that's another... To me, if Michael Shannon is going to get a nomination for that, I mean, I don't know if he is, but that's another person who I feel like would easily lose to Oldman playing Churchill. Well, because, again... You know, people don't win for sci-fi roles. I mean, like almost ever, it like never happens. You know, they get a nomination, you know, a Sigourney Weaver or a Charlize Theron or whoever can get a nomination. But to win for acting in a sci-fi role is like next to impossible. But anyway, go. go what were you going to say about Shape of Water? Oh, I was just going to say that um, that just like we were talking about Gary Oldman a second ago, like Sally Hawkins right. is now... Um, being as the front runner for best leading actress. Um, well, hey, maybe no, like, wrong. I'd, I'd yeah. love to be proven wrong about sci-fi roles winning. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's really going to tug at the heartstrings because what she's playing, like uh, she's either mute. I think she's mute, right? Yeah. Playing that Holly Hunter piano card. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, maybe. But I think both Darkest mm, Hour. And uh, The Shape of Water are probably the two big ones that came out of Telluride. And as we know, Telluride's been the place lately where the best picture winners come from. They always sure. they don't necessarily always premiere there, but they at least play there. And um, But then from Toronto, we added another big one with Lady Bird. Uh, the late, latest, um, well, actually, it's Greta Gerwig's um, directorial debut, and I think she also wrote the screenplay, so she could be a double nominee. Plus, not to mention, Sear Sharonin is also, just like Sally Hawkins, being hyped up as a candidate for Best Leading Actress. Um, and, of course, Lady Bird is not about Lady Bird Johnson. It is actually about Greta Gerwig's own <laughs> life. And Robin, now I know you're a big uh, Greta Gerwig fan. So, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm very excited about what she's directing, especially sort of the authorship she had with Baumbach, you know, writing screenplays. That that seemed to work. Now she's taking it to a different level. 
very excited and but she's not put herself in the lead as well you know like a lot, a lot of directors may do um, and, and I've heard good things about it I thought it might be a bit too really flimsy and forgettable for whatever reason but it's turned out not to be the case so there's a lot of um, quiet films here. What, what I was going to say is well Sally Hawkins got um, she's got Maudie as well which people are still kind of talking about that, that, that'll, that'll keep her at the top, I think, for some time with the the other role in that in that movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. But like you said, sci-fi. What I was saying is that since you brought up Sally Hawkins, uh, or no, I'm sorry, since, yeah, Maudie, that it reminded me last year about French actress um, from L. Yeah, Isabelle Huppert. Isabelle Huppert, thank you, who, of course, uh, was helped out quite a bit by multiple films that she was in that did uh, quite well. And I think we could be looking at that again this year since Sally Hawkins is in both one of the best picture frontrunners and Maudie, and probably something else if we were to, to look it up, because that's generally how it goes. And in Toronto, I know we had uh, premieres of Molly's Game. Yes, um, my most anticipated movie of November. Yeah, and I think Molly's Game did okay. I mean, it didn't blow uh, the, the audiences away like some of these other premieres did, but I think it's going to do quite well. Um, it's probably going to be, you know, like in terms of Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, it's probably going to be in the B plus range, I would think somewhere around there, a minus even maybe depending on, Mm. um, you know, because it's got Jessica Chastain, who I think is becoming slightly overdue. Um, she's been fantastic in pretty much everything she's ever done going back to 2011 when she was in every other movie that came out that year. Mm. Um, and I I think her debut was uh, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life I think and then of course you know she was really great in Zero Dark Thirty and really 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 good in uh, Miss Sloan and to anybody who hasn't seen Miss Sloan yet including the person Mm -hmm. sitting next to me you really need to see Miss Sloan no (laughs) No, I'm just kind of screaming for the uh, review on Variety for Molly's game. And, yeah, they're pretty much raving about Jessica Chastain. Are they saying anything about Idris Elba, though? Mm, not from what I can see. They're talking about Kevin Costner a lot. Oh, yeah, and Kevin Costner, of course, had the goodwill from last year's Hidden Figures. So, yeah, he's doing all right for himself. Um, also premiering at Toronto was, of course, we had the winner itself, um, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, the next film from Martin McDonough, and I just watched the trailer again, and uh, my god, I am so, so excited for, um, it looks Cohen-esque, um, but Mm -hmm. also just looks really like, like, like the language of 
of Tarantino, you know, sort of a mixture of the two of them, but maybe not so much violence. Although we, you never know. I mean, the trailers don't necessarily show any violence, but we have to figure what that movie is about. Probably has some violence in it. Um, or at least I kind of, I kind of hoping it does at least. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable that of all the films that were at Toronto. Nobody was predicting three billboards to take the um, the prize, but are, looking back now, is this a surprise to you guys? Um, yeah, I think we're talking about um, overdue, aren't we? And the the right writer director, he's, he's made so many so many good films that haven't been rewarded before because it's on that, like you say, the Coen Brothers type uh, black comedy, and, and it is quite violent sometimes flashes of violence, but very, very funny screenplays. And I think it's maybe it's just, it's, it sounds like he's maybe even gone up a gear with this one, and that people have, have finally, they know the name, and they, look, they like the film, and they want to reward it. And I think fair play to him. And it's definitely a dark horse, I think, if it's, if it's got the legs. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I was just going to yeah. say that um, the statistics back up the chances that three billboards will now get a best picture and even best director nomination because looking at the toronto prizes five out of the six nominees this decade have gone on or i'm one at tell at toronto and um i think the only film that didn't get nominated was from 2011 it's like where do we go from here or something like that what it was like a, a French film, perhaps, um, and I don't know what happened with that. That didn't end up anywhere in the Oscar race, as far as I know, because that was the year of a separation. But so you're saying if it's an English language film and it does, it gets the prizes at Toronto, it moves on to a Best Picture nomination, pretty much without fail. Yeah, generally speaking, because then I heard another statistic that said that eight, uh, at least eight of the last nine. Uh, what also was nominated for Best Director, which is, I mean, that's a really strong statistical category. Sure. Mm. And so I think we're probably yeah, looking certainly. at Martin McDonough in the Best Director race. And I was that's thinking great. about this, you know, because, like, who, who do we think is in right now? I mean, it's probably, what, uh, Nolan for Dunkirk, uh, based on the reactions for Guillermo del Toro, and Joe Wright, we have to think maybe they're in for Darkest yeah. Hour, and the, the, and then we probably have to yeah. put Martin McDonough in there, and so that's yeah. already four of the five spots right there. Yeah. Now, granted, yeah. you know it's only October first, so we might be a little hyperbolic at this point, but I don't know, perhaps not, because um, obviously we still got a few more big players uh, to to come. Now, um, what do we I'll tell think? What I think will happen. Yeah. Sorry to yeah. interrupt. I thought, <clears throat> I'm going I'm to say it's probably not going to get a director nomination, but that will only um, increase his senses elsewhere. And I think I'm going to stick my neck out now and say that he's probably the front runner for original screenplay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I so can that's see that. That's on the record there. I think original screenplay at least is also what uh, the Shape of Water and Lady Bird. Plus, yeah, plus the big six. Jordan, Jordan Peele is going to be in that category. Yeah, yes, forget it. 
I, I really hope you're right yeah. because I would love to see that happen. Because as we've, as you've definitely stated, and as I think we're all feeling, like Jordan Peele wrote one hell of a great screenplay. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Now, a couple that that didn't pan out so well at, at Toronto was Downsizing from Alexander Payne and Suburbicon from um, George Clooney. Now, and Damon goes over too. Yeah. Now, okay, so do you think with these um, mixed reviews to negative reviews that that could hurt Damon's chances? Or do you think... Yes. Okay, yes. yeah, because I think oh, yeah. that even though he's in two, two big-profile movies, if they don't do well, then I don't think he has any chance. Yeah, because you're right. There'll yeah, be I all kinds think... of competition, yeah. I, I still don't think it's, it's they. I said they... The, but they see him as a heavyweight, and it doesn't have that. It still doesn't have that gravitas, I don't think. Even when he was nominated for for um, the Martian, I think people were a little bit surprised. And you know, I, I just don't think he has that status. And if there's two films he's in, as, you know, especially Smerbicon, that well received, I think it's it's over. Good night. You're <laughs> <laughs> saying his. Well, you don't mean for his career. You're just saying for this year. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Oh, well, look at look last year when the, uh, the Oscars when um, was it Jimmy Kimmel said to him, you know, you could have you could have been in Manchester by the Sea as a lead, but instead you produced it and went to make, went off to make a Chinese ponytail movie. <laughs> so you know, Hollywood Hollywood remember those choices and. It's not. It's just not quite top tier for me. I don't think. No. Mm-hmm. Is that uh, your critique of Matt Damon on something Jimmy Kimmel says? I mean, that's that's silly. <laughs> that's like I don't know what. Yeah. That's like going to the Palestinians to get a critique of an Israeli or something. I mean, you know, these guys are like you know established <laughs> enemies. I mean, you know, in terms of comedy, anyway. Um, yeah, it's, it's just the sauces. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, I feel like there's a, a rationale to getting Matt Damon in your movie. Like, if I had this whole thing about Matt Damon compared to Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, which is something Bill Simmons always talks about. He's got the most popular podcast in the world. Uh, you know, he's he says any every DiCaprio movie would be just a little bit better if Matt Damon were cast as the lead. Now, granted, Bill Simmons is a home. He's a homer. He'll be the first to tell you he's a Boston guy. He invented that whole thing about people being homers. But um, the thing is... I think, you know, if I were, I would cast Damon, I'll tell you what it, what it is. It's not because DiCaprio is, uh, is not better. DiCaprio is probably just as good an actor as him, but, but the idea that your guy doesn't yet have his Oscar and he might get it for your movie. I thought that that was a good, I mean, that was a good reason to cast DiCaprio like four years ago, five years ago, you know, like get him now before he gets the Oscar, because then you have all this free press uh, about potential Oscar chances. I, I mean, uh, you're probably right. These two movies are going to bomb for, or not bomb, but Dame is not going to get nominated, but I'm saying going forward, you know, I, it's actually, I think there's a perverse logic where that you almost get the guy, uh, before they get their statue rather than waiting till after they have it because you get more you have a ch- more chance of getting gold yourself I don't know maybe I'm crazy <laughs> no after I saw the trailer for Suburbicon I immediately like the first thing that immediately popped into my head was this is Matt Damon's American Psycho <laughs> right 
which Christian Bale was not nominated for, by the way. Which he should have been, quite frankly. Sure, yeah. I think they barely knew who he was, you know, which sounds hard to believe. But it's like, you wouldn't, I mean, what did they saw Empire of the Sun? They're supposed to remember the kid from that? I mean, you know, who who knew then, you know? Yeah. Oh well, they all they all ran to see Newsy. Yeah. He was the lead. Oh, well, what were they thinking? Forgetting about that. <laughs> and I talk about Ode. Come on. Christian Bale's not owed a thing. His fighter accent was handsomely rewarded. I mean, you know, they don't have to. They don't have to give him a second one this soon. They may, but I, I don't. He's not owed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because there's that Christian Bale movie that premiered. Sure. Yeah. Well, where are you guys on films, anyway? Did you finish up with uh, Host Steals? Okay, so what I was saying is that um, nomination, I think it could happen, but there's no chance that it has any... Well, it's going to happen Blade Runner. And I just think that that, in any... In any year, like, you do not want to go up against both Dunkirk and Blade Runner. And especially yeah. if they, everybody thinks that Roger Deakins is finally going to be due. I'm just, I'm looking at Sasha. Hey, Al. Yeah. You know, uh, you must know Sasha's, like, Best Picture Awards tracker on, like, the right column on the right side of the site. You know what I'm talking about, don't yep. you? Yep. I'm just looking. She has 15 movies there. You know, she... 15 movies from Darkest Hour, Dunkirk to a bunch of other movies. She doesn't have Blade Runner 20. She doesn't have it. It's not there. Really? And she's seen it. She can't spin that line of like, well, I don't, I don't put, she's, you know, she's written about it. She said, uh, you know, da, 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 da. You got to see it on the big screen. So, you know, you can't, you know, they're in the, in the back in the day, Sasha would say, well, I never put a movie there until I've actually seen it. Mm -hmm. She's got movies there that I doubt she actually has seen like Molly's game. But anyway, my point is, why do you think, um, I mean, is she crazy? Maybe it's a typo. I mean, clearly, do, are we are we getting off the Blade Runner train well, before it even left the one. station? Uh, uh, what's going on here? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not 100% listening to this podcast. Yeah, I thought you did. <laughs> Katie Halper. Bye. Katie Halper. Yeah. And I know that. Okay. I you know, I think that's Sure, sure. I'm sorry. You know what? I didn't. I feel like now I'm taking us way far afield from like where <laughs> uh, we were. I just. Okay, I don't so know Blade Runner. You're talking about Blade Runner as a lock, and I'm like, oh, is it? I mean, maybe it is, as for at least for a nomination. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Well, okay. So, uh, what have I missed exactly? Oh, well, do you, Jonathan? Do you think like Toronto and Tell Your Ride? Okay. Well, also, and another thing. Wait, one other little thing. Uh, Al, you you mentioned four directors as locks or more or close to locks for best director, and the four you mentioned were uh, 
Joe Wright for Darkest Hour, you know, Nolan for Dunkirk, Del Toro for Shape of Water, McDonough for Three Billboards. You did not mention Villeneuve, I'm saying his name wrong, for uh, Blade Runner. I mean, that would be fine. I, I don't know. I mean, was that was that just an oversight on your part, uh, or you just didn't feel like mentioning it at the time, or what happened there? Um, no, the only thing I was I could say about that is that um, officially, so officially, they had a for uh, probably, but not, at these, I, I but not at these festivals. Or was it at a festival? Was it at Toronto? Mm-hmm. No. I, I, I don't know. no. Oh, it wasn't at Toronto or Telluride. Um, right. so, oh, that's the only reason is because um, it, it had, didn't premiere at a, at a film festival. But I do think absolutely that Villeneuve could very likely get in for Best Director, especially if people are really not hype is real for this thing um which i mean i'm hoping it is because we i mean something like that i mean people are calling this like the next mad max fury road and we know that george Uh, got in for mad uh, max Fury road Mm. granted he didn't win even though he should have but he did win the most the movie won the most oscars that year which is still a high nomination nomination oh oh wins and nominations yeah you're right I'm sorry, the movie won the most Oscars. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 right. It was like five or six, right? Right, no other movie won that many. Right, 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 right. That's still something. I mean, that's not nothing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. When I hear uh, the next Fury Road, I'm like, um, oh, dear. That's, that, it just feels like, okay, if I hear that, it's like, okay, it's going to be overhyped, and I'm going to end up being severely disappointed in the sure. end. Fair enough. <laughs> but... So, no, that's the only reason, Daniel, is because it didn't premiere okay. at a film festival. Well, I you're see. You're right. I... You're absolutely right. Because I think that, especially <laughs> given that last year he was hot off Arrival, and that had one of the most nominations. And even before then, Sicario. And Sicario, which was, I think, severely overlooked. Oh, um, definitely. And then even Prisoners, and to, to a lesser extent, like, Enemy. And we could even go further back. I know there's a lot of people out there that really love Incendies. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Denis Villeneuve is on fire, I think, right now. He's sort of the maybe the, the current go-to guy besides Christopher Nolan. Like, if you want to make a big blockbuster and you want to get a lot sure. of people to go see it, and you need, you know, somebody who understands both drama and action, and even to a degree sci-fi. I think right now those are definitely the two to look at. But you know, speaking of directors, one that we haven't mentioned yet that I'm still really wondering about is what are they going to think of the post from Steven Spielberg? Because that's kind of the one that I'm sort of holding a place for and. Waiting to see what exactly is going to be the response to this, um, and especially like in terms of, and I know Julie and I were talking about this, whether or not like Meryl Streep is going to be a lead, or if like Allison Brie is the lead. Um, I know sure. for sure Tom Hanks is clearly a lead, but other than that, it's it still remains to be seen. Right. Um, yeah. Is it going to be, right, is it Lincoln or is it Charlie Wilson's War or whatever? Charlie Wilson's War came out, they all forgot about 
about it ten minutes later. Yeah, but Charlie's Wilson's War is actually you know interesting, and some, I, I think the oh, more I comparison would be like War Horse, which was kind of right. like eh. Right. Good point. That is an apt comparison. I agree. Yeah. I mean, like it was Spielberg at the top of his game, but they just didn't care. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Now, the only other thing I wanted to mention from the film festival is this I, Tanya, about Tanya Harding. Um, and I know, like, Alice and Janney's in it, and she's getting a lot of praise. And I know they're definitely um, hyping up. Margot Robbie right now, right. who she might be the new It Girl, like the way that like two it years ago she, 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 she was. is the new It Girl. I mean, she was the new Girl two years ago, <laughs> three years it might be. <laughs> yeah, because uh, the Wolf of Wall Street. I think that yeah. was the first. There's a calling card. Most of us saw her in. Um, yeah, that was released in December 2013. So we're going. She's been almost four years now. But, well, you couldn't expect no. them to nominate Suicide Squad. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> no way. <laughs> only I'm for sorry. Ha- you know, I know they like genre, but... I mean, maybe... Yeah, the, she was like good Oscar in that... winner Suicide Squad. She was... What was the name of that Tina Fey? A Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, I think it was called. The, the game. She was excellent. She actually was good in that. I'm sure if the, her, she's good in this, they could easily nominate her. I... I, I like Jessica Chastain for this Oscar, partly because of the biopic thing, but hey, whatever. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, that reminds me, there's actually one other film that I wanted to mention um, to see what you guys think as well uh, that premiered at Toronto that I think has gotten basically mixed reviews at this point. I know Sasha really loved it, and that's, of course, Battle of the Sexes. Yeah. Yeah, that came out to. Uh, this week, I think that just yeah. finally came out around um, the indie circuit here in San Diego. So I'll probably catch that next week, maybe. Robin, have you seen it? Rob, did Robin call? Uh, Robin, we lost Robin. Uh oh. <laughs> Robin, or, you want to speak for yourself? <laughs> Do we lose Robin? That's funny. No. I was going to say the silence is deafening. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a great podcast, too. When you, when it's like 10 seconds. <laughs> are you, wait, are you, are you trying to say something? Are you on mute right now? Oh, no. His voice is normally so low, you can't understand. Uh, I don't know, guys. <laughs> we hear you a little bit. Robin? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of static coming in. in and oh, no, he's gone. and there he went. Oh, dear. Hope he wasn't talking on the baby monitor. <laughs> <laughs> he's upset with me, and, you know, who can blame him? I mean, honestly. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah, nice try, Gibson, again. <sighs> <laughs> Okay, well, let's try adding them back in. But you're right. You know, Al, I've loved, so far, this is a great uh, festival rundown. I don't know what to say. I was going to see Battle of the Sexes last night, but I went to Mother so I could keep up with you guys. So uh, so I'll have to give Battle of the Sexes We'll get to that later. next, Oh, I know. But I, I don't know what to think of Battle of the Sexes. I feel like Emma Stone 
got um, like her Oscar a year early. It kind of reminds me of like Russell Crowe winning for Gladiator, but then the next year he comes out with a beautiful mind, and they're like, oh, oh or, uh, uh, or Sandra Bullock when she won for The Blind Side, and then came out with Gravity when she probably should have won for the latter than more than the exactly exactly that you know you said it well exactly like oops well okay we screwed this up but now we got to give it to somebody else <clears throat> or she could or she could pull a tom hanks and win it both years who knows yeah the thing is yeah Possible. It didn't Tom Hanks that he was in a, a drama that had made $300 million at the box office, which I don't think Battle of the Sexes is going to do. Um, true. But, so, yeah, maybe. Sure, but the but a performance usually, I feel like, it, you know, if the performance is worthy enough, it should be, it, it should be considered a, either a, something that, that is, something that should be nominated or it should be the winner. I mean, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, it's, I wanna, a, it's a novel idea that time may not be here yet. I want to agree. My thing is the Oscars are so into parity, P-A-R-I-T-Y. Oh, yeah. In a way that, like, I mean, the Golden Globes, they'll give Jim Carrey or whoever, you know, the same award five years in a row. They don't care. But the Oscars are not that way. And they, they've made it very clear that they think, eh, you know, they, they, whatever, they, they'll, they'll space it out. They always do, or they often do that. I mean, it's really rare when they don't. Right, right, right. Well, I'd be excited for Emma to win back-to-back at Oscars. What was I going to say? Yeah, you mentioned Battle of the Sexes, which was... I was hoping you'd bring it up because I do think, in my own little logic, I still think that's a bit of a front runner for best picture still, because it's got all the, it's got all the factors, the current events and the the history and the feel good, two great actors, front and centre. So I think this this one could be if when they start ignoring the blockbusters and the big technical films because they usually do that, don't they? Let's be let's be honest. Um, so that's my opinion on that. And I think the directors, which is a man and a woman, we mentioned directors earlier, I think. Like I said, you said just carry on without me not sure what's happening. I really, really, really wanted to hear him talk about Mother! <laughs> well, you are going to have quite the editing uh, souffle. <laughs> a nightmare. But the fans back home probably want us to get back to films. If, yeah. Uh, Point. Okay. Sports podcast. Well, let's 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 just carry on, and then we'll uh, we'll figure it out in the editing room afterwards. Sure. So next up, we wanted to talk about um, the la- uh, the latest Darren Aronofsky film, Mother, with an exclamation point. And boy, I tell you, the exclamation point says it all right there. <laughs> oh no, kidding. Um, so I got a quick little story to tell first before we jump into our own thoughts and reactions. So Julia and I went and saw it, and I had such a visceral reaction when the film was over. Like, the people sitting right in front of us, um, they, they were standing up, and they're like, one person said, that was the worst movie I have ever seen. <laughs> and then this other guy said, boy, I didn't follow any of that, did you? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. 
And so then um, I was a little annoyed by that. And so then we were walking out, and I asked Julia, I'm like, what do you, what'd you think? And you kind of had a mixed to negative reaction. And I, I immediately jumped down her throat. <laughs> that's the most beautiful worst move I've ever seen. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and so I was a complete dick to Julia. So I would like to publicly apologize for my behavior. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my my God, like that that is such a beautiful film. I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that don't understand what it's about, but I think I've I've listened to enough people now talk about it to fully understand or at least ninety percent of it. Um so but first, do you guys not uh Leave your opinion out of it. Did you guys just understand what was going on? Um, you know, uh, when I first saw it, I I thought this was a it, it, it was about uh, art art artist and uh, artist and art and art artist versus art and uh, the creativity process and kind of maybe even a kind of almost in your face statement about how women are uh, so neglected and kind of overlooked and uh, abused but in, in this uh, uh, very patriarchal society um, and then it wasn't until like a, uh, until a few days later when uh, they started bring, I started reading the reviews the reviews and started seeing uh, that there was a biblical element and then I went rewatched them was like Do I start at the beginning again, or do I just kind of like... <laughs> yeah, start from the book of Genesis. <laughs> okay, so in the beginning there was man, and then it was good. Okay, okay. Uh, when I first saw Mother, I, I honestly thought it was um, a, a, uh, a statement on uh, art artists versus art and the creativity process of what goes on into it. And like, there was the crowd that wanted to see the poet. I thought that was just kind of a statement about, um, uh, about fame and the trapping, the trappings of fame and wanting, and us, the consumer wanting more and more and more from the artist. And part, partially another aspect I found, I thought, which I still think is that it's also a statement about, how women or muses are who are who who do help who are just as influential in creating art are usually overlooked and or just straight up neglected and um, uh, almost abused by by us as as a patriarchal society. And it wasn't until when I got home, actually a few days after. When uh, I started actually reading the reviews and saying that there, this was that there was a an a biblical element to this to this film, a mostly a biblical element, I had to go back and rewatch the film. And when I saw it again, it's like, okay, yeah. And now now I'm starting to kind of see, especially um, uh, at really early at the beginning, where uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris uh, are break into the poet's 
study and they see this beautiful uh, crystal vase thing and it's that's supposed to re- represent uh, the apple and when that shatters it's you know uh, Adam and Eve t- uh, eat, eat, taking a bite from the tree from the apple from the tree of knowledge and the original sin of mankind or the fall of man and and I just started seeing more and more biblical uh, allegories and it's just, and I thought this is this uh, this is actually really all subtly well done and extremely brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I think again, seeing it a second time, I feel like you know what it it, it can it can be all of those things and more. Probably it's it's one of those movies that you can just kind of like watch it again and again and just see and then pick up something some completely new from a new angle that you probably haven't seen you wouldn't have seen uh again yeah is that now daniel is that the take that you had too uh yes i didn't see it a second time but i uh i actually did have a similar reaction very much like jonathan's i thought when i was watching it that it was about like the creativity process you know somebody being like uh a like a rock star or some other very overcome creative figure. Um, I, or I assumed that would, I, well, so can I ask you Al a question and then I'll, I'll just give you more of my reaction after I hear from you. Uh, sure. did you know about the biblical stuff before you saw it, Al? Well, okay. So here's what I can say as I had seen a Facebook post from Matt Naglia over at best Next Next Best best Picture, picture. and he he had this post about how, like, a sales pitch between Darren Aronofsky and the studio about, I want to pitch this new movie. Oh, yeah, what's it about? Bible. Really? Yeah. Okay, well, here's $50 million. And so I had (laughs) that in mind going in, but I'm like, even when I saw the things that I should have up on, I'm still like, how does this relate to the Bible? Right. It wasn't until after I saw it, and, like, I think I listened to a review of it, and I started hearing about the allegories that I'm like, oh, oh, damn, you know, and then uh, it all started making total sense. Um, but, yeah, prior to that, all I had known it was that it was supposedly about the Bible. Right. Well, okay, so... My reaction, <laughs> I did not know that until later. Now I have learned, since, you know, in preparation for this podcast. Um, I think um, that uh, I, 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 stylistically I thought it was very enjoyable. I thought that uh, it could get a nomination for, like, sound effects or editing, and I would be fine with that, you know, nominations like that. I think technically the kind of claustrophobia that they were doing, I would call it a sort of an exercise in radical subjectivity, the way they frame, um, you know, Jennifer Lawrence in the film. Um, It's, you know, it's not totally unlike the way Natalie Portman was shot in Black Swan, but it feels like he took it up even a notch from that, you know, in terms of crazily kind of being in her face, you know, or over her shoulder everywhere they go. I mean, obviously Lawrence had no off days. There were no, there was no time when it was like, oh, hey, here's a call time where I don't have to be on set. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. I mean, that clearly it was all her. Um, And I mean, 
I think it does work as a stylistic exercise. I think it's okay. But I also had a feeling like if you didn't know the Bible stuff, um, like Jonathan and I didn't know it coming in, and like Julia didn't know it, I, I, I guess, you know what I was researching in preparation for this podcast were stories that are basically biblical allegories, uh, or not even biblical, but like that are like a sort of a, a scene by scene remake of a popular story. But do you need to know that going in? And so I, I made, uh, or I got a little list over here. I mean, I, I'm just going to, well, I mean, I'm not going to really run through this, but I just, there, you know, obviously the, the, there's a million Bible ones, not a million, but like you can watch ET, um, Harry Potter, Superman, the Shawshank Redemption, Lord of the Rings. You don't have to know that 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 any of that has is like a remake of Jesus Christ's story, you know. And I'm not obviously a, a movie that, like that's directly based on the Bible, like Noah or Jesus Christ Superstar, wouldn't count. But I mean more movies like Eyes Wide Shut, where there's an Adam and Eve thing, or The Lion King, which is supposedly Moses, or the story of the Prodigal Son, or West Side Story, Romeo and Juliet, Pretty Woman, Cinderella, Edward Scissorhands, Beauty and the Beast. Or perhaps most relevantly, Black Swan is arguably a remake of the Red Shoes, especially the ending of. Um, but I would argue that, in, that what all those movies have in common, and I'm not sure that they, they they have it in common with each other. I'm not sure if they have it in common with Mother. Is when you watch them, you don't care if they're a remake at all. You don't. In fact, you're not even thinking about that. You're not thinking, oh, hey, nice one. They just Cain just killed Abel. This is perfect. They're 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 pinging all. They're getting in all the great hits when you're watching west side story you don't think oh there's the scene with mercutio that you because you don't care because it's a great movie whether you've ever even heard of romeo and juliet it doesn't matter you know what i mean whereas like i feel like mother if you don't know that it's a bible story i don't know it like i'm watching it going okay i don't know this is the bible at the end they're all ripping apart his house they're they're you know they're literally ripping the phone off the wall, they're ripping the shingles off the, the, you know, and suddenly Kristen Wiig calls for somebody to be killed. I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous. It doesn't work on a, on a narrative level. It might work on a stylistic one, but it's stupid. I mean, it wouldn't happen that way. And it, you know what I mean? Like it has to be something almost supernatural. So then you're thinking, okay, what did they leave for clues? I guess I, in my opinion, it didn't reach the level of its own internal consistency like those other movies did um for me i mean look if you want to tell me it's brilliant and i'm an idiot uh that's totally fine there would be nothing i haven't heard before um but um you know i i wanted a movie that kind of stands up for itself and i felt like it didn't quite do that although i did admire the filmmaking of it you know Mm -hmm. that's my take oh how about you (laughs) hi hi everyone hey robin good to have you back Yes, I can hear you distantly. <sighs> I don't know what that, that was. Internet, I think, internet problem. What was your, Robin, we, we, you, we have time for your take on Mother now, which would be great. Oh, right. Have I missed much of talk on that so far? Have you if all... you've only missed me, you've missed nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, I caught the end of it, yeah. How much you uh, loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you want my take on it? Yes. Yes. Right. Um, it's, it's it's one of those films where you, when you watch it, you you're thinking, "Oh, this is a masterpiece." 
And then you're thinking, oh, no, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. Oh, oh, it is. Oh, no, no, it's yeah. not. So I, I'm right now, I still don't know how I feel about it. I definitely am not one of these people that says they hate it. I definitely don't hate it. I didn't hate it. And it's a good point about the, the Bible stuff and the... Uh, it's, well, it's, it's about... I think it's about, obviously, that we worship God and destroy the earth, basically. And if people don't understand that, then, you know... And people throwing the... One thing I was going to say is people throwing the sexist thing at it. I found a little bit repulsive as well because, you know, Mother Earth... God is seen as a man, whatever, however you want to say if that's sexist or whatever, that's that's the thing we've all um, come to understand, and that's the the connotations of it. But Robin, did you, can I, sorry to interrupt you, did you know about the Bible allegory before you saw the movie? I knew there was parts of that. I knew, obviously, that Aronofsky, I'm not sure if he's a, he's a fan of the Bible, but he certainly... He likes to put it, put it in there the same way, I suppose, more subtly, Paul Thomas Anderson likes to put a bit of Bible in there. Magnolia, for example, sure. is a big example. Mm-hmm. But this one, yeah, and people are gonna people are gonna watch this and be like, "Oh, symbolism, so obvious." And I don't think Aronofsky really cares how obvious it is. Um, and people are gonna say, "Oh, it's so sexist the way she's treated," and he's, but it's like it's almost like a perception of nature. Is how we see him. It's, I mean, it's not Father Earth, is it? It's Mother Earth. And that scene at the end, which is extraordinary, when it's like every cut, there's more people in the house, and there's more destruction, it becomes like a war zone. It's just like stuff we see on the news all the time. It's like It was almost like the last hundred years of history in, in five minutes. It's one way of interpreting it, interpreting it. And I don't... I'm a man, so I wasn't really offended by it, but the whole sexism <laughs> thing. The whole sexism... I mean, I thought the guys in it were knobheads. I don't, I, I'm not proud to be a man watching that. Do you know what I mean? But what do you guys think? Am I wrong? I, there, I didn't... If you're hearing people call it sexist, I'm not hearing that. I mean... Yeah, like, I'm not hearing that either. I, Matt, you know, uh, this is the classic... You know, Mad Men is a show about sexism, partly, but that doesn't make Matthew Weiner a, a sexist. They're showing it. Showing it is not the same yeah. as endorsing it. I don't think... Mm-hmm. When you have Jennifer Lawrence as your obvious lead in every scene, I don't think we're saying this is a self-hating woman. I think we're showing that she's... Yeah trying to do her th- I, I think the movie's on her side i mean uh i i didn't see sexism uh, honestly or bear i mean no, not really i, I mean i do, i don't know I if we, yeah just the way they called it sexist the, um there's a couple of people i'm not gonna mention the names i know one one particular kid i know i call him a kid i hope he's not listening but uh he, he absolutely hated it <laughs> most sexy things ever seen and I just think there's one way you can look at this film and that, and that is one way but the, you just you might as well not you might as well stop going to the cinema if that's how it's going to be because I, I thought there's I watched it and I thought right okay so this 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 guy's really inconsiderate uh, the house is a mess these people are coming in and dropping stuff touching things they're not supposed to and she's just there with a very small voice just like uh, and most of it is her reaction uh, Jennifer Lawrence is absolutely magnificent, by the way. I don't think she's ever been this good. Um, and she's tidying up after him. And I can see why people would think, oh, that's really... But this isn't a film about that. It's, 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 
you know, well, I'll say again, it's God worshipping, which is more strong in the second half. People worship God and the, res- the results of that. I don't, we could go into war, terrorism. I think it's all in there at the end. I think there's snippets of it. It's like switching channels of all the bad news of the last hundred years. I don't know and how you can call season. this film sexist. When it, I mean, did this this person you're quoting? Did they think Black Swan was sexist? I mean, I, I you know, they even he even went out of his way to to the scene where Eve bites the apple, or when Michelle Pfeiffer knocks over the 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 diamond. We th- he went out of his way to make sure that you didn't know whether it was Michelle Pfeiffer or Ed Harris. That's hardly a choice of sexism. I mean, that I, you know, whatever. I I the. Okay, I uh, you know let's. Uh, I think I'm with all you. of us on this podcast can be above that. <laughs> uh, I'm with you on that. I'm, uh, and I was as I was watching, I was thinking that people think that I don't, this person didn't like Bats one. No, but you can understand. All I'm saying is you can see the, the depiction of this woman that she has to tidy up after the men making a mess. But that's a portrayal. Portrayal is not yeah, endorsement. It is. It is, and I just think people just shouldn't be watching films. There's so much more to this. And I'm sure Aaron Oscar would laugh his ass uh, if he Portrayal is yeah. not endorsement, you know. Uh, yeah, I actually no, would cool. like to agree with Daniel on, the, on this point because uh, to harken back, like, uh, to Scorsese's Wolf of Wall Street where the controversy was that he's in, that, oh, this is an endorsement right. of these rich, you know, right. you know, wealthy assholes, you know. Right. Going completely fucking nuts with other people's money. And it's like, no, it's not. It, it's not a, a, uh, a celebration of that any more than Die Hard is a celebration of armed skyscraper robbery. <laughs> it's a condemnation of this kind of this kind of behavior. It's not a celebration, and if you can't make that distinction, you again, like Robin said, you just, you should not be watching film. I could just see where the, I could just see where people who want to scream, scream feminists that don't know what they're talking about, you know, that see that that Jennifer Lawrence has to turn up and, uh, because of these horrible men. And I just think, you might as well just stop walking and leave the cinema. Well, it's Julia, ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. I don't think this movie was sexist at all. Yay, no. Julia. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but just to be clear, I, 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 I don't think it's sexist. Just as long as I can just, I'm just seeing the sexist point of view and sort of shunning it. Right. I just think the issue for me is internal consistency if you don't know the Bible stuff. I mean, if you know the Bible stuff, then you're watching it going, oh, so she just gave birth to Jesus, and now all those people are killing him just like they killed Jesus. Oh, what a clever movie. But if you're not thinking that, like me and Jonathan weren't the first time we watched it, then you're thinking, Jesus, this movie just killed a newborn baby. That's what I thought, Daniel. Yeah, and that's not that's not a way to get a great cinema score. You know, like it doesn't surprise me that it got an F. You know, I mean, that's come on, you got to be a little more internally cons. I mean, you know, I don't know. You know, you're I I have a I have a problem with that. I liked it as a stylistic exercise. I liked it. As I say, formally, I, I appreciated it. I would love a sound or an editing nomination. The sound of the wood, the sound of Jennifer Lawrence's feet on the wood, the design, generally the production design was pretty. I just think, I don't know, you can't make moves like that and not expect the audience to freak 
out. You know, I mean, if they don't know that you're doing a Bible again, what do you miss me saying? Robin was like, when you're watching West Side Story, you don't need to know it's Romeo and Juliet. When you're watching Black Swan, you don't need to know it's the red shoes. You don't need that. So you yeah. shouldn't need the, to know the book of Genesis to watch this or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so I, I don't know. I, I have a problem with that. I really do. Well, I know you're not that big of a fan either, Julia. No. <laughs> so do you want to try and elaborate? Yeah, Julia, help me out or I don't know. Well, like I said, you know, when I first saw it, it's the most beautiful, worst movie I've ever seen. I walked yeah. into I walked into it completely blind, you know, not knowing any of the you know yeah. religious yeah. allegories behind you know everything that Darren Aronofsky put on the screen, which was I mean the movie is beautifully shot, like yes, yeah, it, it it deserves a nomination for best cinematography. I think Jennifer Lawrence is going to get overlooked for best actress, and Michelle Pfeiffer is going to get overlooked for best supporting actress, and that's very sad, and I'm prepared for that now. But in terms of the movie itself, oh, God, the story is a steaming pile of shit. <laughs> That's, that well, is blasphemy. Know, yeah, don't mince words. You know, tell us how you read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if it makes you feel any better, I saw this with my, mo- with my mother. And <laughs> she oh, my it. God. <laughs> Yikes. Seriously. No, she didn't yell at me. She's like, I, I don't want to see that movie again. <laughs> I, I want to watch a newborn baby uh, get eaten by a crowd again? I don't know what. Your mom's weird. I don't know. <laughs> 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 I'm an Oscar's like, that's my mother you're talking about. <laughs> right. But uh, go on, Julia. No, but well, just... <sighs> I just had a really hard time, like, following all of this fanfare around Javier Bardem and just, like... I liked know, it. <laughs> like, but, yeah, it's fine. What, like, why we're, like, bending down to him. And then I loved that Jennifer Lawrence's character, like, found her inner strength, you know, halfway through the movie when the movie was, like, when the movie took that kind of, like, dastardly right or left or whatever you want to call it turn and... I appreciated that, and I kind of wish she had had that throughout the entire movie, that she wasn't just this, like, meek, that she was this strong woman, and, like, you know, that meek little girl that was just so quiet throughout the first couple acts. I wanted, you know, the woman that we saw in the last 20 minutes throughout the entire movie. Yeah, but, no, but she's, but she's... What? We've been spoiling everything. (laughs) Okay, but I mean, like... Okay, because you, you have to be a dead baby. Honestly, you could describe. I described this movie shot for shot to Eric, and I personally, I think you know, you could describe this movie to the ends of the earth. People would just need to see it to understand. Right, there is no spoiling it. Well, okay. What I mean is, I can explain most of what it is and the reasons for the choices. All right, so starting with Jennifer Lawrence's character, the reason why she's so meager is because as best as I understand it, she is literally playing Mother Earth. And so she cannot defend herself because also the beginning of the film, the the house is basically um, 
the Garden of Eden, you know, and she's she's right. trying to build yeah. paradise. And Javier Bardem is God. And so then once the first um, um, once Ed Harris shows up, he is essentially playing Adam, who is the first man. And then of course you see him getting sick in the bathroom. Oh, Ed Harris. Oh wait, did I? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. Ed Harris, yeah. right? Ed Harris, the visitor, plays Adam, and you see him like losing a rib in the bathroom. And we have to assume then once that gets like something, he I think he throws up something in the toilet, and that becomes Eve. And then she shows up the next day. Then um, you know. Eve is the curious one, and she is also the one that's tempting. And so the uh, the glass, whatever that thing is, is basically the forbidden fruit. And then once that breaks, like you guys are saying, that is uh, original sin. Then um, the reason why, like, they go on to like, okay, so like when Javier Bardem, God, writes the poem. I believe that is the New Testament. And then she's like, yeah, it's perfect. And then from there, everything turns to shit. Now, like, for instance, they're having the original house party, and the the guests are, like, painting the walls, um, and, like, they're jumping on the the countertop that breaks. I believe that is sink. That is supposed to be, like, Noah's flood. Um, we even see things like, I think there are, like, the frog is a plague. And so then going on, when, yeah, obviously she is, she's not Mary Magdalene. She is definitely Mother Earth. But because we also know that it wasn't like the, the they did have proper sex, baby. But I was thinking, like, why is she pregnant immediately? And I'm like, oh, yeah, duh, because it's an allegory. So she gives birth, and that is, of course, baby Jesus. Now, why do they beat the shit out of her? Because that human's beating the shit out of her. That is directly a metaphor for global warming, and especially, like, the fact that that's when she finally gets tough and decides to fight back. And you notice how, like, her her defense against everybody, including God, is to burn the oil? I think that is also a message being sent. Um... And especially the fact that, like, right at the end, when she, when the Earth is rebuilt, um, and we she wakes up and she's somebody else, because I think the metaphor as well is that no matter what we do to this Earth, God is just supposed to be there to rebuild it back to perfection. And um, I, the allegories are insane, like you know, again, like the Adam and Eve, um, and then Cain and Abel, and then all the plagues. God and Mother Earth, and so I mean, I just think it's great. And you're right, man. like if you're just looking at it and you don't understand what all these things mean, then yeah, it's it's hard to read like that. And it's kind of a, a fully undeveloped story. But looking at the allegories and the metaphors, I think the, to me it plays very very well. It, it is pretty consistent. Um, some of the things are a little bit un- hard to understand. Like, I'm still struggling to understand what the yellow stuff was that she was drinking. The magical elixir. Do you guys have any ideas what these could have been? 
Mm. Yeah, I am from heaven. <laughs> I don't know. Frankincense. No, go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry. Oh, I, I, I wasn't. I honestly wasn't totally sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, either uh, medicine to keep her strength up. I, I, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. I, I read. Uh, now that I'm going on sites that have tried to explain the movie, I read that that is also a mystery to some people too, like what that exactly meant. But see, my, Jonathan, I mean, sorry, uh, Al. My, I mean, I feel like it's not enough to defend it by saying, "Well, it got all the bits right." I mean, I, that's my whole issue. Is I, I take issue with that, the premise of that defense in the first place, because I think, you know, you, you know, I, I don't know. I've seen Romeo Must Die with Jet Li and Aaliyah. You know. <laughs> I'm sure you know Daniel. That's that's not it's not as good as West Side Story. Now if you tell me, well, uh, but yet it gently and Aaliyah got more of the scenes right. They they squeezed in Shakespeare's, you know, uh, act four, scene two, and you know, the West Side Story totally forgot to do that. Is that really a defense of the movie being better than West Side Story? I that doesn't hold water for me. Um you know, you don't you don't get credit for just pinging, you know, the stories. Right. You have to, especially a movie like this that dares to kind of I don't know what, you know, it dares to kind of not be about it, it's not saying directly that it's that it's the Bible. It does. You know, nobody's with the Bible or anything. You know what I mean? Like they don't actually tell it's not Noah. You know, we don't Russell Crowe's not playing a guy named Noah who's getting on an ark, you know, and trying to get to it. <laughs> So if it's not direct, then I don't know. You don't get to defend. It needs its own internal consistency. And, you know, when Jennifer Lawrence walks into that room 20 minutes before the end and, you know, cops and thugs are shooting each other and there's a fire and explosions in the room, that makes no sense. I mean, that comes from nothing. There's no internal consistency. I mean, you can't if you don't know it's about a Bible, you don't know it's then it's like what. And I do think I noticed that Jennifer Lawrence was telling people right before it came out. uh, They realized they needed people to review it that way. I uh, I don't I need a better defense than that. I give it that it's stylistically um, lovely or, you know, like I, I, I I'm with Julia. Basically, it's a beautiful uh, but you know, like kind of terrible movie that's, I'm kind of with Julia base. I'm on team Julia. That, that's my answer to that. <laughs> Al, I, Al, I want you to mount a defense that has nothing to do with the allegories. Right. Well, mm. you know, I was, I was thinking about maybe trying to write like my follow-up thoughts to the review that I wrote because I wrote that review literally like minutes after I got back home from seeing it. And so yeah. all the thoughts that were brewing around in my head, I'm like, I was just trying to spit them out because I'm like, I want to get them out before I sort of get boggled down by them all and confused and everything. Cause you're right. I mean, it's, it's sort of, um, uh, a merry-go-round, uh, of just craziness. But yeah, I'm thinking about trying to write a, another, uh, think piece about it where like, maybe I can try to explain why some people like it and why others don't. And I think that would be interesting, you know, maybe, like look at from both ends because to look at this film from both sides I think would help people to I don't know like come up with like if you can explain why you like something and dislike it I think that's a healthy way of looking at it 
Um, oh, hey, that sounds like something I would say. <laughs> My kid has been uh, screaming, so excuse me. I, I, I want to amend it. I didn't think it was shit. Huh. I just thought it could be more mm-hmm. Hey, baby crying. I can relate to that. Yeah, just give me two minutes. Okay. No, you're fine, Rob. Take your... Well, do we... Um... Jonathan, do you want to start your, your rant about... Yes, um, give us some death well, notes, baby. Before I wanted to say, before I really, really get to that, I wanted to uh, just say you you, were, you brought up that uh, that uh, you should probably it, it, you can understand why people like it, what like would love Mother and why others wouldn't. And from my experience, um, when I first again uh, seeing Mother twice, uh, I definitely uh, I I, I harken back my experience to Mother with. Uh, when I first saw the Tree of Life, um, and and I feel like both movies are are similar in in the in the sense that they're both abrasive. They're both these movies are not easy to take in like once. Like I've seen the Tree of Life like about four times since since I saw it uh, on the big screen. And to be fair, I still fucking hate it. I still think it's pretentious bullshit. Um, and again, fair warning. I, I'm just not. I'm not. A, I'm not a Malick fan. I've just never been big on his work. Um, but I, you know what? I, I feel like my, my opinion is uh, softened somewhat because it's okay. I can. It, it's just a movie that that I just don't. I didn't receive well because I didn't really like the style. I didn't really get what Malk was trying to convey, and at this point, I still honestly don't care. Uh, but as far as um, Mother goes and how the Tree of Life goes, I think both films are both equally important because uh, they're, they're both... They should, they're both equally... I feel they're both equally important. They should both be championed because we just don't really see storytelling of this kind of caliber anymore. Uh, you don't really see uh, artists or uh, directors, you know, uh, being given the freedom to actually say, okay, we're, I'm going to make this movie this way and to hell with uh, how critics will take it, to hell how audiences will take it. This is my vision and I want to make this movie the way I feel it needs to be made. And I think we should get, definitely give Paramount Pictures all, a ton of credit for for just letting Aronofsky oh, make this movie the way he it, he saw it and the way he need he needs to tell it because agree with agree. there's just no way any other studio in Hollywood would have given him would have let him do this movie. No, and the fact that they actually Paramount actually came out with with a statement saying that. Um, a that they stand by Aronofsky's uh, uh, film, and that uh, they they're trying to get pe- more people to actually go out and watch it via um, uh, promote via a lot of promotional uh, uh, advertising and all that online and on, on on print and in social media. And I think it's just absolutely fantastic, and it should be applauded that uh, they did it, and that hopefully more. We, we get to see more uh, uh, auteurs actually get to uh, have studio backing and to make more films like that because we really do need it more. 
more in 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 the medium. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think this has definitely kind of created a conversation with yeah within a community like ours, and it's rare that movies come around like that. Yeah, especially these days. Mm-hmm. And even superhero movies, which we all can say we love, but yeah, it, it's now. You can say that there's definitely an oversaturation. It's more of the same from Hollywood. And the fact, and again, again, the fact that we have something like Mother out there—that's so abrasive and so different. You should be celebrated. It should be at least be seen to, at the very least, to have discussion to, yeah. for us to discuss and talk about. Now, I have to have one last quick thing I want to talk about. That was state because um, I think originally he was planning on having it come out in October. The reason why he pushed to get it moved up is because he knew that the film festivals were going to be coming out. I think it premiered at Tellier, at um, at Toronto, mm-hmm. but he wanted it right afterwards because he didn't want the word of mouth accidentally spoiling. Right. He figured that if people at, at Toronto would see it, that it, people would be talking about it long before it actually hits theaters, and then it would get spoiled. Now, here's the ironic part, okay? So, he didn't spoil anything. People go see the movie, and it gets an F score. I think, I wonder if it's possible it would have actually done better if they had a little bit of a warning going in, especially with the confusing um, trailers and, and marketing saying it's really it's more like this. And I feel like maybe they botched that a little. I don't know. Well, the, the minute you actually have a baby getting butchered on screen, I don't think you've, you've passed the point of no return. Yeah, I agree there completely. <laughs> Although you notice how, like, as soon as we see them eating, it does not look like a baby. Right. That's my one defense. That's true. (laughs) You never see it. You never actually see it, do you? Nope. So, at least... We hear, like, a neck snap. We hear, like, like bone breaking, but, like, not. Yeah. Well... But don't you see, like, a rotted carcass or something? Or, you know, like, picked off... Right. So, yeah, it's, we're supposed to assume that it's the baby based on you know Jennifer Lawrence's reaction to the whole thing. Right? That was like one of the things that I absolutely hated because I love babies. I, I just yeah. it, was okay. very, it was very okay. uncomfortable. Like there are some parts of this movie that were. Very uncomfortable for me to sit. Oh yeah, very uncomfortable. Not a warning, but like something that says, um, "No babies were harmed in the making." No babies were harmed in the making of this film. The baby Jesus is still just fine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the last the last movie I felt that way about was Eraserhead. Now I have to deal with David. There's all these David Lynch people that I deal with online all the time who will defend Eraserhead as like one of the greatest. It's like one of their ten favorite movies of all time. I'm like, really? We we you both watched Eraserhead because that last twenty minutes of Eraserhead, I'm like, I'm cringing. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm a dad, but like, I can't handle that. You know, it's I don't know. I mean, I, I 
You know, I yeah. So thank you. I could use what you just suggested, Al. How about we have that uh, that oh, little uh, disclaimer on that movie yeah. too? That's all. I'm yeah. Asking. Hell, that when we do our worst movies, <laughs> I I'm pretty sure I'm going to nominate Eraserhead. <laughs> mm. I appreciate Eraserhead as a stylistic thing, a kind of like this Aronofsky thing. Um, but boy, I don't know. Uh, it's hard for me. I I never need to see it. Does anybody here love Eraser? Anybody like some big David Lynch? Robin, are you some huge David Lynch guy? Then you think Eraserhead is one of the greatest movies ever made? No, I don't. I don't think it is. No, it's not. I, I like Blue and Mulholland Drive. No. Yeah, those are way better films. <laughs> I love Mulholland Drive. That's a terrific, outstanding one. Oh, you're missing out. That's a great movie. Okay, and I have no idea who the fuck David Lynch is. Sorry. What? <laughs> That's funny. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm just not familiar with his work, is what I meant to say. Uh, nice. Well, hey, yeah, I know. I'm a, I... I, I See, I, I claim to be a fan of film, and I don't really know, know who David Lynch is. It's weird. That's because you're spending four, like, you're, you've watched Tree of Life four times. <laughs> <laughs> you need to watch something else. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's probably it. And you're watching Death Note. Uh, yeah, all of that time, right? Is that your segue? Yeah. Okay, uh... All right, definitely. Uh, uh, I, I should probably start with a disclaimer, or not a disclaimer, but an apology to Ghost in the Shell. I was harsh on Ghost in the Shell the last time we talked about it on the podcast, um, and I actually wrote a review for my site where I, uh, where I just finally was able to kind of jot down what I felt about it and. When I started writing, I realized I, I didn't really hate this movie. Uh, I had seen it a few times after its initial release. And, it, it, I again, it's not a movie I hated, but it's, it, it is something that is so disappointing because it, it... They got... I felt like the filmmakers, especially Rupert Sanders, I thought they, they did their homework on... Just the, on, on, on the uh, visual aspect of the film, the, the aesthetics, uh, music, sound effects, uh, the look of the film was absolutely gorgeous. I just felt that the story and this iteration of Ghost in the Shell just, I felt like it, they were just trying to please um, uh, both fans who, had to, who were mega fans like myself and newcomer audiences who really don't know anything about uh, about the franchise, and they didn't really succeed in um, telling uh, really satisfying either camp. But I would gladly take uh, Rupert Saunders actually, you know, kind of doing his homework on Ghost in the Shell rather than what whatever the fuck Adam Wingard did with uh, Death Note. Um, so I would say. So I guess to, to segue into this, uh, Death Note is a, uh, well, for, for, for those who don't know, Death Note is a psychological thriller uh, uh, written by Suge, uh, Suge, uh, I'm having the notes in, my, in, in front of me, uh, Suge, uh, Sugimi Oba and Take, Takeshi uh, Obata, who, who did the illustrations. It was a, uh, 
for originally it was in manga form and it came out uh, with the in uh, weekly show and jump uh, comics at and the story is uh about this uh kid named Light Yagami, brilliant uh who's a very brilliant uh student but extremely bored and one day he comes into contact with uh the death note which was re- which uh he picks up and starts reading it and says yeah uh whoever if you write your name if you write the name of someone you know into a, into this book they will die and when you hear something like that you you, you think oh oh that's such that's just bs there's no way that if i write in so and so's name that person ends up croaking so he does this so what yami does this for the first time only to find out holy crap that actually wow that person died because of me me uh and then in comes uh Ryuk, who is a uh, Shinagami, uh, Shinagami, or a death spirit in, in, in the Japanese culture. He is basically kind of just egged on by uh, Ryuk to continue using the death net for his own nefarious ends, which, in this case, uh, Light decides to, to use it to cleanse the earth of the criminal element and become a god and bring true justice to the world. And Rhea mostly does this because he thinks it's it's just it's just borderline amusing to see this arrogant little shit uh, actually try to carry it, this out to fruition. Unfortunately, the uh, local police aren't amused by this in any way, shape, or form, and there's a task force created... Uh, in order to stop uh, uh, Light, who who now goes under the a- alias as Kiva. Uh, now his father, who is a the uh, who was a detective, also heads this investigation. And when they can't uh, really find out who this Kiva person is, and when the body count starts to pile up, uh, uh, Interpol brings in their uh, their best and most brilliant detective, who's only na- known as L, on the case, and from there it's it's just a um, it's a it's a it is uh, it, it, think of it like uh, if you've ever it, it, think of it between like Sherlock Holmes and his nemesis. Uh, mm. uh, oh God! Now I'm now. I can't, yeah, uh, Professor Moriarty and engaged in a battle of wits, and who can figure out the other's identity and kill them before you know, more chaos ensues. And that's basic, and that's essentially just kind of death note. The whole the, the clip notes, and here's where the movie comes in and fucks everything up. Uh, like Turner, I guess he's played by Nat Wolf. Uh, plays the version of White Yagami, and in that movie, he is basically a fucking idiot. I mean, an absolute idiot. Uh, he's nothing like uh, White Yagami. He's not brilliant. He's not just downright. Meg- uh, he's not a down. He's not a megalomaniac. Even though they try to turn him into this. 
guy with who's who's is clearly on on an ego trip. Uh, but none of his qual none of the qualities of the animated ver- the anime version of like Egomi really ever shine through once. Uh, and so uh, same the same thing goes with L, who is again a brilliant who, who basically matches uh, uh, Kira like beat for beat in 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 tr- in being clever and trying to deduce who the other is and there's maybe actually I take that there's maybe a little bit of that in there but it's it's just it's so few and far between that about midway through the movie uh, uh, L just comes up comes right out and says without with about 10 minutes of screen time and deduces that uh, Light Turner is Kira and then actually confronts him, saying, "I know you're Kina," and they just, and the two just go back and forth, and it's just, it's just so badly done that it just drives me nuts how how this um, how this all came, how this film even came about. Uh, also, uh, how the Death Note works is um, you write someone's name in the Death Note. They what happens is that that person suffers a cardiac arrest or a heart attack and they die within 30 seconds. And here, uh, and in this film, uh, that only happens like once and that's towards the tail end of the film. Uh, what, what happens is that you write in this, in this version, you write down the name of someone who, who you want to die and then you say how they die, and it, it basically just becomes it, it basically just becomes like a very gorier version of Final Destination. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's almost like Final Destination does. Yeah, and it's just yeah, and it's like yeah. Am I watching Final Destination or Death Note? And I'm because it, it, it just it doesn't work. It it because it, it becomes too gory and just too. Too dumb to actually take seriously. Oh, uh, what was that now? Wish upon. Wish upon. I think it had. Uh, oh, the one with Ryan Philippi. Okay, yeah, I, I probably didn't see that. She basically like three or four wishes, and then she end up, you know, all becoming like really bad, and just shit happens after that. Everything goes to hell. No, I think like Grace Moore. It's Billy King. All that. Uh, it's well. It's kind of easy to get those two mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, well, that's too bad. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll just skip this one overall. Yes. Willem Dafoe. Oh, you know, actually, that was probably the man. I, I'd say that's probably the best, the best, the better thing about this because he actually does kind of get the characters kind of. Kind of in, in, insanity and kind of the um, devilish intent of Ryuk. So I'll, I'll, I thought they got that that part right, but everything else was just fucking shit. Well, I, as I said, I only made it through like the first twenty, maybe twenty five minutes of this before I had to like do something else because <laughs> it was just so bad. Every time I would hear Willem Dafoe, I would just immediately think, oh, yeah, 
Osborne, Spider-Man, same character. And I, I actually, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring bring this up. There's a uh, uh, another uh, person in this film, uh, Mia Sutton, who's supposed who's supposed to be uh, Miss Anime, uh, Aname, who is kind of Kiva's love interest, sort of. Okay, so she's like the girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, well, in the, in the anime, she kind of is. Uh, she's just mostly someone for for. Uh, for uh, like to have around, so he, he doesn't feel any less sociopathic than he already than he already is. But Mia Sutton, that's that's the character's name. In this in this version, she is basically just a full blown. She morphs into a full blown psychopath, and I'm, I'm watching this. I'm like, she could have been Kiva very easily in this movie if you wanted to gender swap because she is everything that kind of like. Like uh, Yagami was in, in 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 the animated version, version he she's smart, she's clever, she is just very nefarious. And I'm thinking, like halfway through the movie, why does he just ditch this dumb shit, this dumb shit, and just you know go off and be here herself? And to the film's credit, she does, but it's so so obvious that it that that uh, she's going to eventually. Uh, Kill him and take o- and and take over where he where he left off. That it's just like okay, let's just get this over with, so I can actually maybe we can get a decent adaptation out of this mess. And it never gets there, much to my dismay. I mean, it's it you know it, it, this movie is almost as bad as the Emoji movie, but not quite. I wonder if it's as bad as Flatliners. Uh, I haven't seen Flatliners yet, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, that got a 0% at Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> wow. Oh. <laughs> 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 could be your funeral, dude. Well, I saw that you brought Keeper back. Yeah, that, that, that's just what I need to get out, so. Okay. Sorry, sorry, yeah, I was just thinking, uh, I love Jonathan's summary. We should also probably wrap up before we lose our audience this time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're probably like, oh, they're talking about Death Note on <laughs> Sorry, everyone. No, they flatline for the high. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so... For this episode of Filmotomy podcast, and we hope all you listeners continue to follow us. And um, we're all on Twitter, and uh, as far as I know, we're all all on Facebook as well. And just go to just go to filmotomy.com and read all the good stuff that Robin is po- posting there. And um, yeah, and just we'll let you know as soon as this uh, posts and everything else. So. Um, I hope everyone is having a great um, weekend, and I hope that Joel is doing okay in Puerto Rico. Oh, definitely. I hope he's doing all right, too. Yeah, and uh, that'll be it. So thanks for listening. Come and move that in my direction. So 
Thankful for that, it's such a blessing, yeah Turn every situation into heaven, yeah Oh, oh you are My sunrise on the darkest day Got me feeling some kind of way Make me wanna savor every moment Slowly, slowly You fit me, telling me love how you put it on Got the only key, know how to turn it on The way you nibble on my ear, the only words I wanna hear Baby, take it slow so we can last long Tú, tú eres el imán y yo soy el metal Me voy acercando y voy armando el plan Solo con pensarlo se acelera el pulso Oh yeah Ya, ya me está gustando más de lo normal Todos mis sentidos van pidiendo más Esto hay que tomarlo sin ningún apuro Despacito Quiero respirar tu cuello despacito Deja que te diga cosas al oído Para que te acuerdes si no estás conmigo Despacito Quiero desnudarte a besos despacito Firmo en las paredes de tu laberinto Y hacer de tu cuerpo todo un manuscrito Pasito a pasito, suave, suavecito Nos vamos pegando poquito a poquito Y es que esa belleza es un rompecabezas Pero pa' montarlo aquí tengo la pieza, oye Despacito Quiero respirar tu cuello despacito Deja que te diga cosas al oído Para que te acuerdes si no estás conmigo Despacito Quiero desnudarte a besos despacito Firmo en las paredes de tu laberinto Hacer de tu cuerpo todo un manuscrito This is how we do it down in Puerto Rico. I just wanna hear you screaming, ay bendito. I can go forever cuando esté contigo. Despacito.